Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. You're listening to The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. Good evening and welcome to River Radio. It's seven o'clock and time for the station's resident football show. Joining me tonight is our regular panel of Ben Green and Ed Tolton. I'm Will Taylor, so let's kick off tonight's action. This week, the Premier League title race hots up as Manchester City drop points at Selhurst Park. The end of the Messi and Ronaldo era is nigh, but at least one of them isn't going without a fight. And we talk the Thames Valley as Reading and Wickham both pick up positive results. All that and more to come on tonight's episode of Extra Time. Hello and welcome to Extra Time. It's seven o'clock on a Wednesday evening. There is naturally only one thing it could mean. We're back for the football show here. I'm, of course, joined by the wonderful Ed Tolton and Ben Green, as I mentioned earlier. Contrary to popular belief, though, the show is not all about us. I, I do tend to think that quite a lot, but it turns out it isn't. And we would love to have your say throughout. So if you want to pop us an email at studio at river.radio or Twitter at River Radio Live, let us know your thoughts on, on anything we're going to discuss tonight. As always, we've got plenty to get stuck into this week a very busy week for our constituent clubs as well as the wider world of football I'm sure we'll hear a lot about a lot more about it Ed um, as you haven't stopped going on about it since but a great result for, for Crystal Palace wasn't it you say that right as if I'm like a really biased Crystal Palace fan this is absolutely true what I'm about to tell you exactly what happened at the end of that game my dad turned to me and said didn't they play well Palace weren't they great and I was like are you having a laugh <laughs> don't get me wrong okay like Palace actually in a sense weren't the team that just set up a defensive block and hoped for the best you know we actually had a couple of chances of our own any other night you play that every other night of the week we lose that game three nil possibly four nil but on that particular occasion we did do enough and, and we're unlucky in a way not to nick it in the sense that man city just weren't weren't scoring weren't scoring and it felt so inevitable but nonetheless it's great to have had a say in the title race four points we've taken off Manchester City only one other team this year has beaten them in the Premier League and that's Spurs um, you wouldn't have put money on either of us quite frankly <laughs> to uh, to have got points out of City no. really but um, yeah it was a it was a great game and, and as I say to have had a say in the Premier League title race um, and I think across the Premier League there's some great stories coming up you know sometimes leagues aren't an exact science sometimes you get a team who runs away with it at the top or a team who gets totally cut adrift at the bottom and it does change the conversation but uh, so exciting once again and, and now just you know four points in it and, and possibly one after tonight of course definitely I mean I th- it's quite amusing isn't it that Crystal Palace have had more to do with title races in the last sort of two decades than Tottenham have uh, after Cristanbul <laughs> and, uh, and three that. minutes in yeah three minutes and I'm already throwing jabs that's that's extra time I'm ready for you <laughs> Ben um, I'm surprised you're here after it. have you recovered from the limbs last night 
No, not really. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I was I was close to the exit. I was going to go home, get a pizza and go to sleep and forget it all happened. But no, that classic Wickham, the most Wickham finish you could think of. 95th minute, scrappy goal that should have been disallowed for a handball, but we won't talk about that. But yeah, brilliant. brilliant you still take it all day, won't you? No, take it every week. <laughs> exactly. Well, we'll get into Wickham more a little bit later, but we're going to kick off tonight's show by casting our eye to the wider world of football and chatting to Tom Pickering for the very hottest topics around where he's going to talk us through the biggest talking points in football at the moment. This week, specifically, it's the Premier League. And we're going to delve into the Messi-Ronaldo debate as well a little bit. Not not specifically that, but more about how the era is sort of coming to an end. Uh, the race for the title in the Premier League, though, as we mentioned, is hotting up. The battle at the bottom continues to heat up as well after the latest game week. Um, obviously, as we mentioned, you know, Crystal Palace forcing a draw out of Manchester City. And I'm um, Liverpool facing Arsenal tonight in what is a huge game for the title race. Tom... I believe you're on the line. How are you, mate? You okay? Tom, can you hear us? Yep, sorry about that. There it cut out for a second him. there. We've it's a little him. bit up and down. How are you both doing? Are all <laughs> three of you doing, Ethan? We're, we're all good, mate. We're all good, Owen. I mean, just, just getting straight into it, like, like me and myself and Ed were talking about, this is about as exciting as the Premier League gets, isn't it? Hello, Tom. Are you there? Hello, I'm so sorry. It just keeps cutting up. I think I'm here now. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, I think I think loud and clear, mate. Loud and clear. <laughs> but yeah, as, as I mentioned, sorry, it, what are we talking about? Sorry, it, sorry, the, sorry. The, 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 I think the, the question might have cut out a little bit there. Uh, I was just just mentioned it's about as exciting as a Premier League season gets this year, isn't it? Really? I mean, it's it's busy at the top. It's busy at the bottom. The top four races heating up. It's it's pretty exciting. Well, yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? I mean, City do this every now and then, don't they? They just fail to score for a whole match, and you question why. And and now, it, you know, it could be one point in this. Liverpool have a strong goal difference. They're going to play each other on the 10th of April. I think for the first time in a while, we have an actual run-in happening. And I don't know about you guys. I'm hyped. <laughs> I really am, actually. Yeah. That's the thing. And, and like we say, you know, there was a, a year when Man City absolutely ran away with the league. There was a year when Liverpool absolutely ran away with the league. But I think everybody would collectively agree as football fans that the best Premier League season there has been is when it went down to the final day and it was, you know, 98 and 97 points or 99 mm. and 98. And, and in that season, the biggest game of the season for me came in about January when Liverpool went to the Etihad. Yeah. And we're looking down the barrel of that potentially happening again. Liverpool, of course playing tonight at Arsenal, it would be quite a Liverpool thing, wouldn't it, to maybe go and get a draw in that game rather than a win. But um, nonetheless, yeah, it, it has the makings of, a, of an absolutely fantastic run-in, doesn't it? Tom, when you look at that that Manchester City performance, I mean, do you do you feel that they were unlucky or, or was it a case that the Palace played well? I mean, every time I see City not score in a match i am baffled as to what has actually happened in the game like it beggars belief of they seem to just have this inability. like it's every 10 or 15 matches they just have this complete inability to put the ball in the actual back of the net they can cut teams open they can open them up and it's always one pass too many or a you know a raheem sterling miss at the back post or something nuts but this city side to me still look like the most dangerous side in the league and I'm really enjoying the mind game being played by the two of them with Klopp coming out and saying we're going to be the most annoying team out there and Silva being like, oh, I'd prefer to be in our situation than theirs. Uh, 
just it, uh, genuinely I, I love it i love the i love seeing the mind games and i love that there's a title race <laughs> it's, it's always playground stuff isn't it but it's what you absolutely love to see i think i mean providing liverpool do win tonight i know obviously we touched on it there it can be so few and far between in these games for liverpool when the pressure's on i mean it, it could just be incredible how big could that game at the etihad be in april are we looking at down the barrel of a of a game of similar magnitude of the one i think it was january that ed mentioned where i think liverpool were what not point three millimetres from winning the Premier League title essentially that's right thank goodness for <laughs> Hawkeye and VAR yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, yeah I mean running running wise it's just going to be extraordinary yeah it's it's so exciting and I think we've had a couple of years where the title has been decided really early and the title might not even be decided on the 10th of April say it's a one point difference say Liverpool win that game by a couple of goals they're still only two clear all they need to do is draw City win that, you know, that additional game, all of a sudden they're equal on points. Like, unless one of these sides completely capitulate, which would be very Liverpool, uh, then, you know, we could have this going down to the final day of the season. And I think that football fans, especially in this country, like, it's what we're dying for. We don't just want the top four battle. We want that title battle. We want to see two teams at the end of the season gunning for the title. And, yeah, I mean, you can hear it in my voice. I'm just... I can't, I, I'm just I'm just let down that Man United aren't there, and I'm just going to have to keep watching these two sides minutes, do what I wish we could do. To must, bring be, Man United must be used to that by now. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> Evening, Tom Bennett. Um, look, last week we got you to, to give us your prediction. I feel like we should make it a running theme where you have to stick your neck out of the line. So, I mean, who do you fancy to do it then? Not just that game, but the season in general. Who do you think is going to take the title? I mean, this is this is cruel because I have to put between City and Liverpool, which like I Gary Neville was like I, I said last week, wasn't it? Gary Neville said it's like choosing which which man you want to steal your wife. Isn't it? Exactly, <laughs> it's just not easy. Um, I don't want either of them to do it. And Tom's not even married. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't keep a girlfriend. I mean, uh, but no, uh, I think City to me are probably the best best team in the world, and so I, I think they're going to do it at the end of the day. Um, I think that their their ability to control matches, possess 70% of the ball, break down teams, stay patient, even when they're not winning, stick to their game plan is something I don't think I've seen in another side. And I, I just think that will probably be too too good for Liverpool, both in the title decider and over the course of the next, whatever it is, eight matches we have left. Do you, do, you think, do you think that's sort of, Ed, do you think that's sort of like a fair reflection in that, you know, that, that I mean, do you see, I mean, I, I think I said back in December, I, I could only see it being Liverpool just because they look so strong and the signing of Lewis Diaz seems to have strengthened them no end, doesn't it? They seem to just be consistently performing. I mean, is it a case of how long they can keep it up or do you think, I mean, it, for me, it's actually probably in Liverpool's hands at this point. I mean, I think it is in Liverpool's hands, really, uh, to be totally honest with you. But nonetheless, I think if I had to back a team out of the two, quite honestly, to go unbeaten for the rest of the season, I would back Manchester City over Liverpool. Mm. And weirdly, part of that is because Liverpool are kind of midway through a winning run and winning runs have to come to an end. And you can't help but feel that, that Liverpool maybe just don't have the same momentum um, that they that they might have done um, were they kind of at the start of a winning run it's it's a weird one it's gut feeling and like I say to be totally honest with you for me I'm probably going to go for Man City because I feel they're just a touch more ruthless when it really really matters saying that against the Crystal Palace side I support that was the last thing they were but 
City are like the dictionary definition of that wounded animal when they mm. don't score or when they don't get a win. You just know they're going to come roaring straight back into it. It's going to be a fantastic game. Honestly, I would be surprised if, if that isn't the, the most watched football match domestically since obviously those two played against each other in that game back in you know January 2019. Mm. But, uh, you know, look, I, I personally, if I had to pick a side I would prefer to win it, I'd actually pick Liverpool. However, I sense Manchester City will probably have enough. Yeah, yeah, I, I could certainly see why that boy, that that could could sort of be the consensus. I mean, Ben, do you think there's anything in it that that the sort of Man City and Liverpool are still Liverpool certainly are very much still in the in a, in the hunt to to win the Champions League, the FA Cup. You know, a quadru- an, an unprecedented quadruple is actually sort of on the cards. Could that go against them in terms? I know City will want to win the FA Cup and Champions League as well, mm. but do you think that could go against? either of them I, I don't know I, they're both experienced sides they're both experienced managers I think it's whoever whichever team finds the best form I don't think they're going to be thinking about the quadruple or the treble they're too good for that they're going to take one game at a time obviously mm. Liverpool have got Arsenal tonight they've got to overcome that so mm. you know I don't think it'll be too much of an issue I think the real question is which team like Ed said Liverpool have had a great run that run is likely going to come to an end. It's whether Manchester City can put together a great run to now to the end of the season to probably pull themselves away from Liverpool. Tom, I, I've got one for you, actually, and, and it's quite an important one. In fact, for everybody, really. It is something that Gary Neville said, which is the amount of effect it will have when you factor in the Champions League stuff as well for the fixtures, because both clubs have, have gone through to the quarterfinals. Manchester United haven't, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, obviously, to what extent, you know, is that likely to have an effect as well? Because you've got to factor those games in. Liverpool are potentially going for this, you know, quadruple, which would be absolutely enormous. Do you see that having any kind of uh, effect on, on the Premier League running? I think we've already touched on this, that these are two experienced sides with two experienced managers. You know, City were in the the Champions League final last year. They're used to playing this sort of schedule. Liverpool are relatively used to playing this sort of schedule. I I honestly don't think it's going to have a huge effect. Possibly if one of them reaches the Champions League final, then that will have that sort of mental thing. But it was like you were saying earlier. Both sides have been there. They've done this. I, I don't think it'll have a huge level of effect. Really interesting as well. I mean, in terms of Manchester United, then Tom, obviously going into this this whole top four thing, not to not to stick the knife in and twist it, but do, do you think that do you think we're we're, we're looking at a, a point where that I mean that top four race is really hotting up as well, isn't it? Do you do you see yourselves getting in it? Do you think it'll be someone else? I am literally bleeding out in the corner right now. It's, it's just just cruelty from this program. Why do I, even come I don't on? know what you expected, mate. I don't know what you expected. <laughs> um, I think, to be honest, I think I said this last week, and the Spurs match brought a bit of joy back into my life, and it made me really happy. And obviously, um, Atletico Madrid did woo did what Atletico Madrid do, and they sucked the joy out of all of Manchester last night. But um, <laughs> Man United are three games behind Arsenal. Arsenal are a point clear. Um, Arsenal's goal difference is superior to ours. And I think, I can't remember who it was, but somebody was saying it during the Spurs match is that that match was won by Cristiano Ronaldo. It was won by what he did in that game. It wasn't won by the team as a whole. And United have it in them to win these big games, but they don't right now seem to have it in them to put this run together. And Arsenal have such a head of steam compared to us that I, I'm just looking at top four. I'm going, we've got, we've got nine games left and it is looking really, really tough to get there. 
Yeah, and, you, uh, okay. but as a United fan, obviously we're totally going to get top four. We might even end up third and uh, Champions League winners next year. Yeah, it's it's very biased opinions you're from, isn't it? So I'm just, just, just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting you bring up Cristiano Ronaldo because it was it was just so he rolled back the gears, didn't he? When when he played um, against Tottenham at the hat trick and everything that came with it, becoming the the sort of biggest the, the all time leading goal scorer club wise. I think it was um, eight hundred and eight hundred and sixty becomes the the first sort of rec- the highest recognized. Yeah. FIFA score ever. It's just, which is, yeah. it's, it's just absolutely crazy when when you actually think about just how many goals that is. Obviously, rounding it off with a hat trick as well. Obviously, it was a, it was a it was a bit of a sort of different game for, for you last night. Obviously, but uh, obviously we've seen Messi and PSG and things like that. Messi sort of being booed, only two league goals this season. Ronaldo, that they're both sort of coming towards the end of this. What has just been an unbelievable run of of having two of the best players that have ever played the game play the game simultaneously? Do you, do you sort of see it like that? Is it coming to a natural conclusion, which is obviously just horrific, not horrific to watch, but sad to watch, isn't it? Yeah, it's really sad to watch. I mean, you look at it and we've had Messi and Ronaldo at the same time as Federer and Nadal, and they seem mm. to all be waning out at the exact same time. But in my opinion, Messi seems to be floundering away at the end of his, like, where he's at PSG now. I think he's only got seven goals and 25 appearances, whereas Ronaldo just scored a hat-trick. He's tied for the second-highest goal scorer in the league. He's got 18 goals and 30 appearances for Man United. It, it is more of watching them and watching what they did in their heyday that's definitely done those you know beautiful step-overs, that speed. Ronaldo, quite literally, you can hear him creaking as he moves. It reminds me of Figo at the end of his career, where like he had it in him to win a game by himself, but he kept trying to do it game in, game out, and it ends up almost hurting the team. Uh, and it is it is kind of sad to watch, but as a United fan, I'm not turning down 30-yard screamers going in the goal at 70 <laughs> miles an hour in the top corner, especially against Spurs. Ooh, sorry, I need I need some joy in my life. I'm just going to relive that mentally for the next five minutes. So I hate to, I hate to bring you so remorselessly back down to earth, but obviously some, some stuff has come out off the back of the Spurs match that, that you're aware of, of course. First and foremost, Harry Maguire scored an own goal in that game, which I think dare I say nobody was totally surprised by it because it just seems to be the way that, that things are going for Harry Maguire at the moment he can't he can't buy any luck as it stands it appears and his ex-teammate Ahmed Al-Mohamedi has, has come out and, and said this about him being the captain of Manchester United I hope that the manager will give the captaincy to Cristiano Ronaldo if he stays he can handle the responsibility Maguire can't handle the pressure. That was for B in sports. Ahmed Al-Mohamedi said that. They were teammates, of course, at Hull. What do you think is is the situation with Harry Maguire? Because he does seem to have been having a very, very difficult season. Performances coming under increasing scrutiny. And it does seem that the pressure is getting to him. Yeah, I think... I, I think a little bit Harry Maguire to me is indicative of the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer reign in general, where he's a good player, he is, but it costs an absolute shed load of money. To me, he's supposed to be like the Rio Ferdinand at the back. He's supposed to be really mobile, able to mobilize everyone around him and drive the team forward. And he's just not mobile enough. And while he's vocal and clearly passionate, he doesn't seem like he can marshal a defense very well but the, you know these defenders around him just always seem to be lost there always seem to be players out of position he's got the Gea in goal who's absolutely brilliant and I, I do think he's floundering a little bit right now and I I, I think it might all it, it is all getting to him and as a, as a United fan I've never been the biggest fan of Maguire as captain because he's always seemed a little bit Van Dyke light and 
I'm going to feel for him because everyone's coming out. And what Romero did after the own goal by screaming a celebration in his face was the definition of unsportsmanlike behavior. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's looking really tough for him. And I, I, I don't think it's going to get easier for him to the end of the season, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's difficult with Harry Maguire, isn't it? Because I think at Leicester, he was he was gifted this, you know, it was a very deep line they played and they'd always look to hit people on the break. He could, you know, it, no one was getting in behind him because there just physically wasn't enough space to do so. There was enough space really for him to take a couple of strides out and, and pick a pass. Whereas United, you know, you're on the halfway line, you're going to be on the front foot in, in the vast majority of games. So, I mean, it, it, it just seemed a a sort of reactionary thing. I mean, we spoke about this last week that Man United are so reactionary with how they do things. Is uh, uh, do, do you think that there's any any sort of um, sort of you know is there anything in what uh, what El Mahamadi's saying in that do, do you think Ronaldo should probably have the captaincy next year? I mean, I'm not I'm not sure if Ronaldo is necessarily the man to do it. I think we've seen Ronaldo be a great leader, and we've also seen him be a terrible teammate, and he seems to vacillate wildly between the two. Um, but I, you know. You, you talk about players that are having a hard time. You talk about trying to take the spotlight off them, trying to give them a bit of a break. And by him being the Man United captain, he encapsulates everything going on, right? So we have like one of the leakiest defenses in the top 10, but De Gea is tied for the most saves in the league. And currently he is not only the team captain, he's the defensive captain. He's that rock that is supposed to organize everybody that's supposed to constantly be this communicator, keeping everyone in line. And it's clearly not working. So, yeah, he probably is failing under the weight of the captaincy. Whether it's Ronaldo or another player or a Bruno, that's to be seen. But I think he'd probably benefit from not being captain. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you you almost feel it at times like this. It's like he's being kept in the position more than he perhaps wants to be himself. Because if he wasn't captain, he could be dropped. If you drop your captain for anything other than an injury, that creates more headlines in itself. When you think back to some of the captains that Manchester United have had in the Premier League era, I mean, we're talking the likes of of Steve Bruce, who in the first season scored 19 goals from centre-half. I mean, those days have gone. Let's be be totally clear. You know, that's, that's something that doesn't really happen anymore. Roy Keane, of course, followed that and is arguably the best Premier League captain of, of all time. Um, you know, some of the names that have come after that perhaps don't trip off the tongue quite as much. I mean, Antonio Valencia had the armband, Ashley Young had it, you know. But nonetheless, you felt that they kind of quietly went about their business. And, and those guys who perhaps weren't as box office as, uh, as the likes of Roy Keane, you were still going to get that sort of flat seven out of ten performance week in, week out, quietly go about their business, don't make make mistakes don't necessarily steal the show but nonetheless they're not under scrutiny and Maguire just doesn't seem realistically to have been able to to kind of emulate that and the interesting thing for me Tom and and I'm and I'm interested in what you think of this is that from from day dot really of Maguire's captaincy when a player came in who kind of usurped him as as the the person that everyone was focused on because obviously he attracted a lot of focus initially because of the amount of money he cost when Bruno Fernandes came in within weeks it was that Bruno Fernandes was really the captain of the team and that he should have the armband. Now, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo's come back and it's Cristiano Ronaldo should should have the armband. We all seem to think we know what a Manchester United captain could or, or should be. But, I mean, does anyone stick out to you within that current squad as, as the person you'd like to give that armband to? You know, being totally honest, um, I don't think so. I think you probably could go the route of De Gea, maybe because of his time at the club, but he doesn't seem like a particularly large personality on the pitch, and you don't generally need your want your goalkeeper running up to the referee to argue a decision. 
you know, you've got McTominay who's growing into the role. He's a real hard man enforcer sort of thing, which we've seen with like Roy Keane and we've seen center midfielders get that sort of captaincy. But right now, I think what's really clear about Man United is there is not a leader. And it's not a question of what we think, you know, a Man United captain truly is. It's the reality of the situation that the captain is supposed to be this personality in the dressing room and on the pitch that can organize his team, drag them along and make them do what's needed. And right now, I think Man United are just sorely short of leaders and are really hoping at some point someone comes out of the woodwork and can kind of get a grasp on the situation. Well, the big question, we need to wrap up the Hot Topic section. Thanks so much for joining us for that. We will, of course, hear from you again a little bit later in the show on Unpopular Opinion as well. Before you go, though, we have talked very briefly about Ronaldo and and Messi. I mean, for me personally, the fact that, you know, somebody like Kaká, who was an absolutely brilliant player, isn't even in the picture having played, you know, in the era of those two is is just a, a statement as to how big and how brilliant they have been over such a sustained period of time. You're a Manchester United fan. You, you work for very biased opinions. So I'm not totally convinced I'm going to get a dead objective answer. But before you leave, we can't we can't not ask you that the six million dollar question. Come on, Messi and Ronaldo. Who's better? Quite clearly, Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> not even, not even, oh. not even a competition. Greatest wow, goal no. of all time. Get not, out. Not even a competition. <laughs> wow, wow, that's a statement. Completely neutral. Completely. <laughs> who, do I, who do I work for? <laughs> <laughs> Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and, and thank you for your insight as well. Cheers for having me, guys. That's a topic in there from very biased opinions and certainly showing that's where he's from in that in that last statement there. Uh, but very interesting how he said. I mean, just, just before we do wrap up Hot Topic, I'm going to get to hear your guys' thoughts on it. I mean, it, the consensus as they've got older very strangely seems to be... And I don't know if it's, it's, it's as you get older watching it that you realise it, that Messi seems to be the the... the Slight favourite. Is that the case for you, Ben? Do you think he is the better player out of the two? It is so hard, isn't it? It Mm. is so hard because at the moment, obviously, Messi appears to be declining at a slightly faster rate. Mm. And what tends to happen is when you've got... In a worse league as well. Yeah, and and you'll have people that maybe didn't see them for the first five years of their their peak. And they'll look at them now and they'll think, okay, Ronaldo is the better player. We just always have to take it back to when was their prime and what we thought of them at that time. I mean, that Barcelona team was that, that won the Champions League in yeah. 2010. They were 11 or 12, they won it in and it was just the most incredible, incredible final, wasn't it? Messi scored that header, Jan jump Rio well, Ferdinand, didn't he? I think what, what seals it for me is Ronaldo is, is a brilliant player. He's a very, very close second. However... I can't pinpoint games like the games that Messi had against... Do you remember the ones against Arsenal, for example, where yeah. he single-handedly won the game? He tore apart Arsenal himself. Yeah. He'd done it in the final twice. That's what sets him apart for me, is at his peak of his career, he had the capability to, by himself, run the game and win the game. And I, I don't know, I just think, maybe, okay, that was five years ago, but when he, when he was there, there was there's no one better. Ed, I'll push you for an answer as well. What 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 is it for you? You see, interestingly, it, it's actually part of Ben's argument that perhaps formulates my approach to this question, which has become kind of the age-old footballing question, really, hasn't it? For the amount of time that the two have been kind of co-competing, as it were. For me, if I had to pick one of them to be in a team I had in their prime, yeah, this was what I would pick Cristiano that, Ronaldo. That's for the same as me. Yeah, and the reason for that is because not 
notwithstanding the fact that Messi is a supremely gifted player, perhaps the most gifted player of all time, I think there are more examples I can readily think of at least. And, and listen, I'm sure the keyboard warriors will happily prove me wrong on this with various statistics. Studio at River.Radio or River Radio Live on Twitter because I'd love to see you get a bit of a beat in my own Whatever, <laughs> you know, yeah, either whatever works for you guys. Um, but in all seriousness, I can bring to mind more readily instances where if Messi was the best player in the world, potentially the best player of all time, and you needed the best player of all time to step up. And it was quite conspicuous by its absence. A couple of quick examples, of course. World Cup final, Argentina versus Germany. Now, don't get me wrong. We're talking about two of the, mm. of the, you know, of the real big international mm. footballing powerhouses here. But they only lost the game 1-0. If there was a time for the greatest player potentially of all time to step up for me, it's arguably then. Liverpool as well. Barcelona. Roma. You know, scenarios whereby you really need the best player of all time mm. to perhaps stand up, be counted, and he's basically in Virgil van Dijk's back pocket. He kind of goes missing. You know, don't get me wrong. He's great. And I think we live in a social media era, okay? And his skills and his goals are fantastic, you know, particularly for short-form content on social media, Instagram, that kind of stuff. They look absolutely brilliant. Not to say Ronaldo's don't, but they really do. But there is a difference between scoring, say, like four goals against Alaves and stepping up and, and scoring mm. in the Champions League final in the way that Cristiano Ronaldo has done, for example, mm. or the way he did for you know for Real Madrid against Juventus and things like that. I just feel that while arguably Messi is the more gifted natural player, I think Ronaldo arguably is the more effective player. And to some extent, you might say that he's also done it across leagues. He's done it in the Premier League. He's done it in Serie A. He's done it in La Liga. He's done it internationally. And to be totally honest with you, if I had to pick one of them based on that, I'm picking Cristiano Ronaldo. Wow, very, very interesting. Like for me, uh, for me, I think it's football is a lot more than than the. I know the big moments are what makes it so special, but I do just think it is a. It can and does boil mm. down a little bit more than that in terms of how the game's played. And if if you were if I, I always the the argument I always say, and I always have this conversation, is if an alien came to Earth and you had to show them the model sort of the the most beautiful way football can be played you would stick on, like you said, the, the short form clips of Lionel Messi. And, and whether that is against Alavez or whoever, whoever that's against, for me, in terms of the, you know, we rave, we rave about the Cruyffs and the Maradonas and the, these, these footballers that instilled the way that the game was meant to be played from, from the very ground up. And Messi, for me, encapsulated that in an era where it became harder to do that tactically than it had ever been. And I don't think Cristiano Ronaldo ever quite matched that. Ronaldo is the bigger game player. I don't yeah. think there's too much getting away from that. And I don't, I think you'd, you'd I think we've, we've between us proved that quite comprehensively. That Atletico Madrid final rings specifically in my head. I think he, he was just incredible in that game and he's consistently incredible as well. Like I said, the only thing is I think football is, is the, the thing that made us all fall in love with football as we is that we're sat here doing a show on it now is the way it's played. And that might not sound like it's true when you support Crystal Palace, Wickham and Torquay, but believe me, it and is. That's come from the Torquay. Yeah. <laughs> I said I'm Torquay. I did say I'm Torquay. But you know what I mean? Like, and, and, but I think watching these players on the biggest stage, certainly as I did growing up, Messi was mm. in his absolute peak growing up. That just that was just really special for me. I will just, just sort of caveat that by saying I don't think he's... that. I do still really like Cristiano Ronaldo and if you're listening Cristiano I'm sorry mate but it's, no, it's close that he is. Yeah, yeah, if I could sure just interject is. on one point I don't agree with I came to love football in spite of Crystal Palace not because of it but <laughs> I'll, I'll take your word for it mate I'll find a single Crystal Palace fan who doesn't agree with that sentiment and, and I'll be happy to meet him truly I will <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, it certainly it certainly is a debate that will that probably will go on till the end of time. And I think it's uh, one of those. It's, it's the old saying, isn't it? That I think we were just lucky to have them both at the same time. It's also shaping up, obviously, to be a really entertaining close to the Premier League season, which we spoke to Tom a little bit about as well. We're going to turn our attention to the local football now, though, as Reading continue their fight against Championship relegation. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. Welcome back to Extra Time. The football show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. Jump the gun there. Welcome back for extra time on River Radio. <laughs> a very keen Will Taylor and Ben Green. Um, we're we're obviously covering the football stories from the Thames Valley and beyond. We're sticking with local football. Uh, we're, sorry, we're changing to local football next. I should say. Turn our attention to the fortunes of Reading and their continuing relegation battle at the bottom of the Championship. A hammering on Saturday at the hands of Nottingham Forest, where they went down within the first minute, uh, it was another loss for Paul Ince's Sanders. But they did that, and some positive results for Barnsley as well have left Reading just two points from safety with nine games left to play despite battling back in the last 10 minutes to earn a point against promotion chasing Bournemouth last night I caught up with River Radio's very own Reading correspondent Jacob Hawley uh, where he spoke through a little bit about the performance against Bournemouth on Saturday uh, yeah like you say I mean the performance against Forest uh, was, was obviously very disappointing um, 4-0 loss and obviously we conceded a goal in the first 17 seconds um, it was not not a great game for Reading, uh, one of many where we've struggled this season. But having said that, the first half wasn't uh, as poor as the opening goal would have suggested it might might be. Um, you know, we we came into the game, we grew into the game after conceding the first goal. Uh, Junior Hoylett's involvement in that goal was was really poor. He, he should have done better, and he, he seems to just let his man go. Jed Spence was was down the right hand side, and he was away, and and. Forest were one up immediately, so we were on the back foot from the off. But we did come into the game, and, and we had two great opportunities in the first half. Uh, Forest struggled, and, and Reading looked like the better team, really. But but straight, uh, you know, second half straight away again, Forest grew into the game. Whatever Steve Cooper said at half time seemed to work, and they'll be pleased with with how that went for them. And obviously, they they ran away with it in the end. The final sort of twenty minutes, you could see the Forest fans were were throwing beach balls about. It became more of a day out for them. Uh, because it it did just look like a walk in the park the second half in particular um and and there were some players that that performed better than others tom ince in particular looked like a real threat particularly in the first half um made a couple of darting runs one down the left where he swung it into the middle and josh lawrence header was just wider the 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 far right post so what could have been you know i mean if if we had gone in at half time you know one one possibly two one up then we might have been looking at a different scoreline, but the, the team just doesn't seem to have the grit at the moment, and they, they showed that. They capitulated on the pitch, uh, and it wasn't what we wanted to see as a Reading fan. Against Bournemouth, sort of what did you think of the performance, and could you see an improvement? I think definitely an improvement against Forrest, certainly in terms of not conceding so quickly, because it's on the eight-minute mark this time rather than 17 seconds, so better in that respect. But... But yeah, obviously came away with a one-all draw, uh, something that as Reading fans we wouldn't have expected before the game with uh, Bournemouth, prom- prom- you know, chasing promotion. Um, so it was a great result, um, no doubt about that. When we were in a dogfight, but having said that, again, certainly there's there's improvements that need to be made. We looked weak again in the first ten minutes, as you can see by the, we us conceding so early on. Um, 
But we, we grew into the game and obviously Tomlins' goal, for those who've seen it will know it, it was a brilliant effort and one that nine times out of ten doesn't go in but it, it rocketed through every, all the bodies in the box and, and hit the, the back of the net. Um, so, of course, we're, we're delighted with the point but certainly still improvements to be made and Paul Lintz himself said after the game that he was disappointed that we didn't come away with all three points. Uh, Scott Parker again also said that uh, Reading were completely deserved their their draw so we can take away some some good points from that game you know clearly the Bournemouth manager is impressed with us but uh it's a big point in the dogfight and we'll we'll hope that we can pick up a few more of those Luke Southwood was left out of last night's game with Nyland favoured for his debut instead do you see Luke's future at the club and what will he make of the recent goalkeeper whirlwind yeah I think I definitely see Luke's future at the club um but like you say there's certainly been a whirlwind in the goalkeeping department at Reading recently um, obviously Carl Hine came in and people questioned that at the time with Jokel Anderson having recently been recalled from League One side Morecambe it seemed that we certainly had enough goalkeepers for the end of the season obviously we lost Raphael in January um, so you could you could say that maybe we'd need to bring someone in but Raphael hadn't actually played um, much this season obviously Luke Southwood came in and uh, when Raphael suffered that freak injury and and he's commanded his place ever since. He made some top performances. He won Player of the Month back to back month. So, so let's not forget how how well he's done and how much of a positive he's been in this rather negative 150th anniversary season for Reading. Um, but things can change very quickly in football. People have short memories, and Nyland uh, signed immediately after Carl Hine was called back to Arsenal. Uh, you know, following his. Also, freak injury. Um, so, Nyland's involvement is very sort of sudden. He's not played in a long time. He was a free agent, having been released from Bournemouth. Uh, he came in, he made his uh, debut last night, as you said, against Bournemouth. Um, and he looked okay, you know. He made a couple of good saves, a couple of good saves. But but like you say, Luke Southwood will be sat watching on, thinking, you know, what have I done to deserve this? I've, you know, we haven't had a great season defensively. Uh, you know, we have to admit that, but... Luke Southwood in particular has looked like, like I said, sort of a shining shining star amongst all this, this rubbish that's going on at the club. So I think, yes, his future's at the club. Nyland's on a short-term deal, um, and hopefully that means Luke will be involved next season in the first team. Whether that means we'll be in League One or the Championship, we do not know yet. But uh, as long as he is happy to be at Reading, I'm sure Reading are happy to have him. There you go, that's Jacob Hawley there, our Reading correspondent here at River Radio. Sort of uh, trying to look a little bit more positively at what seems to be a, an incredibly dire situation. Sort, sort of sort of improved a little bit, I guess, by their result last night. I mean, we'll, we'll get onto that shortly, but Ed, I'll come to you first. Just how big are these next nine games for Reading Football Club? They're absolutely huge. I don't think that can be disputed. They will draw confidence from, from going and getting an unexpected point at Bournemouth and, and to be totally honest with you it, it's often going to be the club who can pick up an unexpected result who may well get themselves over the line because it's not just the, the value of those three points it's how getting those three points or those unexpected points if it's just a draw make you feel and it's how other teams then respond because you're applying the pressure to other teams because people would have looked at that Bournemouth probably included and gone right Fancy us to get back on the front foot here. We've not been playing great, but Reading are, are poor. They've been done 4-1 by Blackpool. Let's go steamroller them. We'll be back in the driving seat and, and what have you. Um, but Reading going and get that point, come away with a little bit more self-esteem. But but also those in the bottom half, I think, oh, I didn't really expect them to get that point. That's But like you say, 
it's so tight down at the bottom now. These are massive for the club. I mean, Reading have been in the in the top, you know, the, or rather the top tier of the league of football, as it were, mm. in as much as the championship for well over 10 years, you know, and have periodically been in the Premier League as mm. well. To go down to League One at this point, which is such a difficult league to get out of, it's difficult to get out of the championship, but I think it's almost more difficult to get out of League One. Yeah. And more clubs end up going down from League One than come straight back up again, yeah. to be totally honest with you. So, yeah, absolutely massive for the club. Um, and Paul Ince has got a big, big job on his hands. You know, all of a sudden, Barnsley have come out of nowhere. We all thought it was going to be Derby, which was a remarkable story in itself, given mm. their points deduction that were potentially going to pose the biggest threat to their survival. Now it looks like it's Barnsley. And, and to be honest with you, it is a tremendously exciting running. Peter have gone at this point for yeah. me. 36 games played, 23 points, goal difference of minus 45. Terrible team. Yeah, I mean, Absolutely I, 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 terrible. this is a, a running, running theme on this show, isn't it, Ben, that you have to stick the boot well, in on Peter. I'd love to not to, but they're such a bad side <laughs> at that level. You know, <laughs> minus 45 goal difference, you know, 72 goals conceded. They're already, they've already conceded more goals than Wickham did last season. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> shocking. Quiz. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they're a really poor side, they are. But, you know, even though I know you said Barnsley looking like they're causing more of the fight. Derby are still in it. You know, they're still only six points. And I know Redden have got the game in hand, but I mean, really, what's that? Redden could lose that game. Mm. Barnsley could lose their game in hand. You know, there's still two teams there. I think Barnsley, for me, they've shown signs recently of the team they were last year, you know, and the season before, by the way. This team has got experience of scrapping out of a relegation battle. They well, did it incredibly. So 13, to, 13 days they spent out of the drop zone two seasons yeah, ago and then came right. out on the last day of the season. So it? they've got form. They've got yeah, you know, they, recent yeah, they history do of doing it. Yeah. it and I, I just think those two teams still are really proving down their neck. And do you'd you, have to say, sorry, that Hull City on 38 points who are in 20th position would kind mm. of regard themselves to be out of it. Shotter yeah. Avalazzi yeah. is, is obviously in charge there now. Not been a fantastic start for him, but he took over a team that was finding things difficult anyway. You'd say they were out of it and it's down to that bottom four. We're saying that you know, obviously, uh, Peter have gone. To be totally honest, that's our, that's our opinion that Peter have gone. Um, Just a, a wry smile from Ben. Uh, there, <laughs> Derby County. It's it looks it looks unlikely. Looks very unlikely to be totally honest on twenty four points. Could be between Barnsley and Reading. The next run in for Reading, huge. Do, do you think the, the the signs do point to? I know obviously it is it's in Reading's hands. But Ben, do, do you think the signs actually point point more towards a Barnsley revival than a Reading one? Oh, 100%. If you look at, I mean, Reading have got one win in five. Barnsley have only got one defeat in five. Mm. That shows me instantly. They've played some good teams as well. And they have. They? And, yeah. you know, they got that big point against Fulham. I know they got a bit fortunate with the goal. I mean, terrible decision by the referee <laughs> to award Barnsley the penalty. But yeah. they, they still valued their point. And mm. I, I, like I said, the, the experiences that Barnsley have of getting out of this, this situation before, being a playoff contender last season, there's clearly some talent in the side. It's been a case all season for them of actually getting it right on the pitch. Uh, and I feel like I've seen a few Barnsley fans online where they've said, Do you know what? not a lot's changed. We've just finally started playing football and we finally started doing what we can do. Um, and I think that's going to be the concern for Redden that Barnsley have now found their form uh, and they're going to breathe, you know, eventually they're going to overtake them. And like I said to you last week, if they do overtake them, if Redding do finally fall into that bottom three, are they going to have the mental capacity to get mm. back out of it well, all I'll say so is sure. this 2nd of April set your watches 3 o'clock Barnsley versus Reading oh, what a big game wow. that is going to be for those two clubs right. absolutely huge no we, doubt about we, that. we might have to head down to that one to be completely honest up to that one that's <laughs> yeah. in Barnsley yeah, yeah exactly yeah <laughs> just put it on expenses 
<laughs> exactly that. Well, I mean, it's certainly going to be a very interesting race towards the end of the championship season. For both Reading and Barnsley, we certainly wish them the best of luck. We're going to swap um, Berkshire for Buckinghamshire next because we're going to talk Wickham Wanderers. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. Yeah, listening back, patience is a virtue, isn't it, when you're waiting, <laughs> <laughs> waiting for something like that. Uh, a very patient Will Taylor this time, uh, back with Ed Tolton and Ben Green here on Extra Time on River Radio. So now it's time to turn our attention to Bucks, where we'll turn our attention again, sorry, to, to League One promotion hopefuls Wickham Wanderers. A draw for them against high-flying Rotherham on Saturday, followed by a last-gasp winner last night, means it's three wins in four for the chairboys after a bad run of form, and it certainly seems promotion is back on the cards. Ed caught up with James Richings from the Bucks Free Press earlier this week where he started out by asking him how Gareth Ainsworth would reflect on Saturday's draw with table toppers Rotherham uh, yeah I'm, like you say I mean the performance against Forrest uh... I think with the position Wickham are in now he wants to get maximum points from the games remaining and um, speaking to him after the Rotherham draw he said he wanted three he believes that Wickham were good enough to get all three and he was right Wickham were by far the better side in the draw against Rotherham um, I think if you were to have said at the start of the season with Rotherham being favourites to go up would you take a nil nil draw at home he would have said yes but based on what he saw he would have felt a bit down about not getting all three points because Wickham had many many chances but with the current form they were on no wins and seven a point against the top of the table side isn't necessarily a bad thing so I reckon it was bittersweet and with regards to last night, another last-minute winner, this time from Jason McCarthy. Was that a fair reflection and a fair result, do you think? Or would Fleetwood feel a bit hard done by? I think by the goal they were very hard done by. Um, if you were to see the replay, I think um, it's a foul on the goalkeeper and a potential handball in the same period of play. But these things happen in football, swings and roundabouts. At the start of the game, Fleetwood were by far the better side. Uh, Stockdale had to make um, a couple of important saves, but as the game went on, Wickham really, really got into it. They just couldn't get a shot on target. I think looking at the stats, 19 shots they had, only three were on target. Obviously, they got the all-important goal in the very, very last second through Jason McCarthy. He doesn't score many. It's his first home goal in just over two years. It's first goal in any competition since um, May last year. So it's three points for Wickham. They stay where they are, but they're now only one point off the playoffs. So they're now one of the informed teams in the league. They've now picked up 10 points from their last 12. And not only that, of course, it's three clean sheets in the last four. Gareth Ainsworth has made a tactical tweak of late, hasn't he? He's been playing with a back four rather than the back three he was utilising throughout much of the rest of the season. How important do you think that's been in this upturn in form, but also that impressive defensive record? I think it's been very important. I mean, prior to that, they had a three at the back with the two win-backs, so effectively a five. But um, during that seven-game uh, winless run, I reckon teams caught them out. And the performances were way below par for Wickham Wanderers' side. So having four at the back seems to have worked. And I wouldn't be surprised if they were to stick with four at the back for the remainder of the season. But they need to adjust the change. Jordan Abita, prior to the draw against Rotherham, had only missed one game all season. That was back in September. He's been ever-present. I think he's actually made the most appearances for Wickham this season. In the two games he's been out with illness, they've kept two clean sheets and have picked up four points. So they've had to adapt to change when their best players haven't been available. So 
the change at the back has really, really been um, a revelation to the side and hopefully it will continue going into the final eight games. Yeah, they certainly seem to have picked up since that change, don't they? How important is it that they do maintain that momentum because they're a key team in that promotion conversation, aren't they? Oh, very much so. They want to pick up maximum points from the remaining eight games, 24 points to play for. And some of the games they've got coming up are relatively difficult. They've got Portsmouth this Saturday and they've got Sheffield Wednesday, which is their final home game of the season. They've really turned it up, beating Cambridge 6-0 recently. They've got Plymouth at home as well. They're very, very good as well. So it's going to be a really, really, really challenging spell, but challenging in a good way because you never get promoted by beating the teams at the bottom and failing to beat the teams at the top. If Wickham want to prove that they are destined to be in the championship, they need to beat the teams around them. And Wickham have got a really, really um, good thing going at the moment. Hopefully it will continue going into the last eight games. And with Bayo retiring, he said back in October that he wants, he wants the promotion to end his career on a high. So they've got to do it for him. <laughs> well, they certainly do, don't they? And it is so tight in the playoff mix now, isn't it? Between fourth and eighth, there's only three points. This seems to really come down to who can hold their nerve the most, surely. Oh, yeah, very much so. I mean, Gareth Ainsworth speaking after the Fleetwood game last night was saying that he doesn't know how many points it's going to take for them to get a playoff place. It could be potentially the highest ever for a side that's not been automatically promoted. So it's going to be a really interesting end going into the final eight games. And as you say, Portsmouth coming up next, not themselves in the promotion conversation. They sit 10th at the moment, but nonetheless, a a tricky place to go, Fratton Park. How do you see this one panning out? Well, it's going to be a difficult one. They love to make a bit of noise, and rightly so. It's a great place to go. So personally, I would like to think Wickham will end their um, Fratton Park hoodoo. So I'm going to go for Portsmouth for one, Wickham two. There you go. That's James Richings from the Buckfield Press there chatting all things Wickham Wanderers. A very bold 2-1 prediction for them. I mean, Ben, obviously you're, you're also our guy on Wickham, our resident sort of uh, Wickham correspondent. Is that sort of a fair assessment? Do you think it, it could be a win against Portsmouth this weekend? Yeah, I think we can do it. I think we have to do it. That's the difference. Um, you know, I, I can be as positive as I like, but the, the fact is Wickham have to win the, at least three or four of the next five games. They have to put a run together. They've got to put the pressure on the, the current top six because at the moment they can't afford to drop any more points. You know, last night was crucial. I was looking at the table when Wickham were drawing nil-nil. There would have been five points off a couple of teams who had games in hand. It was basically all over at that point. So yeah, it's at the point of no return. That is how I'd say it. Wickham are at a point of no return where they can't afford any more drop points they can't afford to say oh we'll take a point they have to win well I mean coming up in those those last eight games I mean what have we got we've got Sheffield Wednesday uh, yeah. there's also Plymouth Argyle not going to be easy either Fratton Park a difficult place to go as I said in the interview they're not really in the, the promotion conversation but not an easy place to go and, and win and as James said I don't think Wickham have ever won there in the league and, I mean do you think that's possible and do you think if you can put that run together and get yourselves into the playoffs because Wickham's you know, performances against the sides in the playoffs haven't been spectacular have they? I mean, they beat Oxford, um, mm-hmm. drawn with Milton Keynes, drawn with with Sunderland. It's you know they they performed well against sides they should beat most of the time, but against sides that give them a bit more of a problem, it's not been been quite as 
how can I say, it's not been, it's not been quite as convincing, has it? If you can put that run together, though, do, do you fancy yourselves to make an immediate return to the championship? <laughs> well, I, look, you said Sheffield Wednesday, Plymouth and Portsmouth, they're probably the three toughest games from now to the end of the season. So the running isn't necessarily as hard as other teams. Now, Wickham, I know they struggled in that sort of six or seven game blip against some of the lesser teams, but over the course of the season, they have been very consistent against the bottom half. Portsmouth, like you said, they aren't really fighting for the playoffs, but they are on 58 points. You know, they're, they're only a few points off us. So they clearly have been a good side this season. They, they just struggled at the start of the year, but I think they've turned it around recently. Um, look, I, I, I believe Wickham can get a, a run of games together. It's just whether they will. You know, they've had a, a lot more stability in the last few games. Tafazodi and Stewart playing together, going to a back four has made a difference. Sam Vokes coming back into form. David Stockdale getting a couple of clean sheets. Everything's pointing in the right direction that, okay, they've gone through their blip and they're going to turn it around and have a big finish. Um, it's just a case of actually following that through now and keep keeping up with the pace because everyone else around us is thinking the same thing. If we just put a run of results together, we'll get in the playoffs. It's not, not going to be easy. It's not. It's not. Splint is in your backside, Ben, but I appreciate the sense of it nonetheless. That's all for Wickham for now, though, as we wish them the best of luck this weekend against Portsmouth. We've got Tom back on the line now, though, as he's going to hit us with his offside opinion very shortly. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. You're listening to The Football Show on River Radio and it's time for my favourite feature of the evening. It is, of course, our offside opinion. This will see our panellist Tom Pickering submit a footballing thought that goes across the grain for many people for attempting to justify it whilst under fire from the rest of the panel. Tom, without further ado, can you hit, hit us with it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I hit no, you no, with I a crazy no, one. No, no, way, no, 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 no. <laughs> no. Go on, what you got? Right, okay, so it's not just that Ronaldo is the greatest player of all time and Messi isn't comparable. It's some recent stuff in the news about the European Super League that mm. has me thinking that this thing is still alive. The Independent has reported on this, CNN have reported on this, ESPN have reported on this, and it seems that Juventus, Real, and Barcelona are so unwilling to let this lie but they've now launched a lawsuit, I think, to the High Court of Europe saying that UEFA and FIFA are monopolistic and they've got complete control of everything. And they're suing them basically to say that they, they have the right to start this European Super League. And what's happening behind closed doors seems to be conversations around the fact that it's English clubs and the English media that nixed it last time. And so what they're going to do is everyone's in agreement. We'll just cut England out when we do this because... Why you need them, right? We're still Bayern, we're still Real, we're still Juventus. And they're going to create this Super League. And in the next five to ten years, after they've created it, they're going to create a system basically where these English clubs are going to be begging to come in because of the money on hand. And I've got to be honest, looking at the way football clubs are run, with the way owners are doing it, if they manage to get this through, I think it's going to happen. And I think in the next ten years, we could have a European Super League and we could have our English clubs spinning a narrative saying they need to be in it. Wow. Okay. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying in that it's, it's, I think it is going to happen. I think it's inevitable. I think that much, that much is true. I don't think there's any right, scenario. Tony Hadley. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, Brilliant. Yeah, also, can I just interject and, and, and just say, you know, congratulations to Tom because somebody's clearly got fingers and a computer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I, so I know, I know what you're saying. How I refuse to, to concede the opinion that the English clubs are ever going to be in a position where they're feeling left behind or anything like that. English football is, is its own Super League that I don't think that they'll ever feel left behind by by anyone. You only have to look at... Who do you the, support the, again? Yeah, all right. Yeah, all right. Well, <laughs> we had this argument a few weeks ago, mate, so let's, let's not get into that again. But I, I just don't... I can never see English football being left behind, I'm afraid. So I just don't think that's that's a plausible thing. that it, We... we, we created the game you know I, I, I just can't see there being any plausible situation where it's, I don't think it is meaningless though. I think it really is football's a world game now we're not we're not the best at it necessarily um, and haven't been by a distance for, for quite some time and I think ultimately the big clubs will, will go where the honey is it won't be too long before potentially people fans might be looking at the European Super League and think actually I wouldn't mind having Real Madrid and Juventus and Bayern Munich you know week it, after week I mean it, does, it doesn't work about the English clubs anyway so there's that <laughs> yeah. it I think it's, it's not it it's doesn't. not just the amount you sounded like David Brent there yes. <laughs> <laughs> obviously this is radio but it's the amount you look like him as you said it as well like genuine flashes Wokingham yeah, yeah. <laughs> Taplo Taplo yeah exactly I mean for me I, I, it's, it's impossible that, that, that at the top 10 biggest clubs in the world the top 7 or 8 are English clubs for me so I, I don't, well, I don't why do you know. think they want a European Super League they want a European Super League because we've got all the money and they're trying to position themselves in a state because Bayern Munich, Juventus, Real Madrid, Barcelona, these other big clubs, PSG, if they ever get involved, maybe a couple more. All you need is eight or 10 or 12 to start this slightly smaller one. But you look at the birth of the Champions League as a whole. You look at how England resisted that despite being the original football league, despite creating the sport, despite, you know, in six in the 60s being the best country in the world at it. And you go, well, yeah, we are going to reject it and we're not going to do it, but they're all going to be doing it. And once they're all doing it and making tons of money and you're getting to watch the best 75 players, whatever, outside of England play each other, we're all going to be sat there going, oh, but, you know, wouldn't it be nice if Man City were playing in that? Wouldn't it be nice if, like, Mason Mount got the chance to do this on this incredible stage? And the narrative is going to flip. Like, you won't even notice it. And all of a sudden it will go from, the Premier League and the FA being dead set against this to some of these clubs going, well, fuck you. Pardon my language. Sorry, for wow. on radio. Okay, apologies to anyone uh, who was listening to that one. Well, that was unanticipated. Very biased opinions. You know, you, I'll try and stay on track after that. But basically, they're going to try and cut away from the league because it will be where the money is. And getting Real Madrid and Barcelona into Manchester, whatever it is, two, four times a year guaranteed, Juventus in two or four times a year, Bayern Munich, they're gonna. It's, it's gonna be what people are gonna start to want to see. Well, well, I'll interject because it's, I'm like a boxing referee. I'm gonna break up the break <laughs> yeah, I up think the fight. We might need one. Um, what I would say, right? It's, I've got quite a balanced opinion, as I think, where I don't think the English clubs are going to going to do it necessarily. However. They tried to do it once before, and that's the problem in the back of my mind, is you can't trust the owners of English clubs right now. Especially, I mean, with the influx of American investment as well, you know, they, they, don't, they don't have... The, <laughs> yeah, not the new in the arm, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well uh, you don't, I can't diss the Kuhigs. They've been brilliant. They're an exception. But I think... Convenient, uh, <laughs> huh? Yeah. But with the, with the influx of, of foreign owners, this whole thing of English clubs, it doesn't really mean anything anymore. Like you said, Ed, it, it, you know, it doesn't really mean anything, the fact that England were the inventors of football and then the custodians of the, of the game. It, it doesn't have the same effect anymore. Like I think, ultimately, even though I would like to think 
that they wouldn't do it, I can't trust any of them. And that's the problem. Tom, I'll come back to you very, very quickly. Would you would you see this, as it were, kind of replacing the current format of the Champions League? And do you think that might be the draw for English clubs? And if you like, the way in which European teams might look to leverage against the English clubs and try to get them involved? Because let's face it, if English clubs got involved, it's, you know, that, that country uh, consumes football avariciously in as much as so does Spain, yes, and, and Germany do as well. But England it is football, football and football as the, as the top three sports almost. Do you think that the, the, the lack of Champions League would in a sense see English clubs be more drawn to playing against European teams in that format or would that still exist in some way, shape or form with say the Europa League replacing the Champions League? So I think I think 100% over the course of time, the Champions League would fade away. I think initially they do it the way they said, where it'd be these midweek matches between the best sides in Europe playing each other in a, a, a quasi-tournament. But over time, it would be that. And if these clubs are making as much money as they believe they're going to make by playing this league, they're going to stop caring about the Champions League as much because it just quite literally does not create the revenue streams that they're looking for. And as they do that, these other clubs are going to stop valuing it and the, the tournament's going to lose its value. So... The Champions League could continue, but the truth of the matter is everybody wants to be in the European Super League at that point because that's where the money is, that's where the big trophy is, that's where, you know, they'll, they'll grandstand it, it'll be medals all round and shiny and tours and, you know, I still don't agree with it, but I just can't see a way it doesn't happen now. Well, I think that's quite a quite an unpopular opinion i would imagine judging by the way that you know people reacted to the concept of the european super league tom thanks so much for for joining us will gents what do you what do you make of that well it's, it's it really is an interest but like i said it doesn't uh, i think the english clubs are the key for it and without that key i don't think you unlock the door um unless they're they're too they're too simultaneous things run alongside each other like the Champions League is then I, I, I just can't see it having any sort of bearing any fruit if you know what I mean so so for me I, I think that's uh, that's pretty much how it is Ben very quickly do you think it'll happen yes or no no okay there we go thank you very much mate. <laughs> we really could chat all night this has been Extra Time on River